0: This is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series.
1: Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership, and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ.
0: Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. Hello everyone, here we are with our guests Valerie Brown and Kirsten Olson. Thank you ladies for being on the show. It's great to be here.
2: Wonderful to be here.
0: Thank you. This month we are focused on excellence and really how we can achieve excellence in our work and our life. We hold firm that there are very specific actions, behaviors, and beliefs that contribute to excellence And we are excited about our guests today because we're gonna take a deep dive into excellence and their work on mindfulness really is about getting into a resourceful state of mind to lead better and grow faster. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Valerie and Kirsten?
1: Thank you, Joe. Our guests this month are Valerie Brown and Kirsten Olson. Valerie Brown transformed her high-pressure, high-stakes 20-year career as a lawyer lobbyist representing educational institutions and nonprofits to human-scale work with diverse leaders, and teams to foster trustworthy, compassionate, and authentic connections. She holds a Juris Doctorate. She's an accredited leadership coach at the professional certified coach level, international retreat leader, writer, and chief mindfulness officer and professional pilgrim of Lead Smart Coaching, specializing in the application and integration of mindfulness and leadership. And she is a co-director of Georgetown's Institute for Transformational Leadership in Washington, D.C., Kirsten Olsen is chief listening officer at Old so coaching and consulting kirsten works with leaders engaged in transformational change sector shift and the new demands of leadership in the learning sector nationally and internationally she is a icf certified leadership coach and an adjunct instructor at georgetown university's institute for transformational leadership she holds a doctorate from harvard university's graduate school of education where she focused on systematic demands of large-scale educational improvement and is the author of the mindful school leader which we're going to talk about today wounded by school and schools as colonizers also a retreat leader focused on mindfulness for leaders self-compassion and permissioning in leadership and social action kirsten was a founding board member of the institute of democratic education in america a national not-for-profit organizing educational leaders teachers students and parents around a vision for education founded and greater equity, social justice, compassion, and passionate learning. So today, Valerie and Kirsten, we want to better understand mindfulness and what that means for school leaders and how that can enable them to be more effective. As Joe said, we're focused on excellence and mindfulness. We consider mindfulness to be an excellence practice. We can't think of a better time than now in this pandemic for this to be part of every leader's practice. Tell us why mindfulness is so critical for leaders to practice and how it might transform them to be a better leader.
2: Hmm, Big question. So Val, do you, do you want me to start?
3: Please, why don't you kick us off and I'll jump in.
2: Okay, so Val and I thought it would be powerful just to talk about the leaders with whom we work every day. And I'm going to describe somebody that this is Kirsten by the way that that I was working with yesterday and um, what her situation was and then Val maybe you can pick up and say a little bit about what mindfulness might do for her. So the leader that I was with yesterday was a is a principal in a large urban district um, relatively new who says And she looked me straight in the eye and said, I have been working 200% since August. The school has been virtual and then was going in person and back to virtual two to three times just this fall. Several of her staff members are out sick with COVID. She had a teacher diagnosed with cancer yesterday. Many families in her community, and students are experiencing food insecurity and possible eviction. So it's a crisis year in education for school leaders, a a pandemic, a racial pandemic, and really a crisis of meaning about what it is that we do. So she describes, and I think every listener and all of us can relate to this, this endless time on Zoom, the sense uh, sometimes observing no one perfectly or few well, more meetings than ever. And um, as was mentioned in the last podcast that you all did, she continu- has to continue on with her punitive grading practices, punitive attendance practices, doing instructional rounds, formal and informal observations, and so on. So, Valley, what does mindfulness potentially offer? This beautiful human doing incredible work under very difficult
3: circumstances. Well, again, just thank you for having us on the show. It's really a delight to be here and an honor. Um, you know, at Kirsten, as you described the plight of this school leader, my heart broke, really, quite frankly. And I'm sure the listeners of this podcast also felt a kind of pang, right? Yes. As you listen to this, right? The, the, almost the brutality of it, which is not what our educational system was designed to do or to serve any of the components of the system, whether it's the teachers or the, the students or, or any element of it, the community. So when, when speaking about mindfulness, I really just wanna point out and make this really, really simple to go very simple here. And so there, there, there are three things. The first is that this mindfulness, this big word mindfulness is, of, is inherent. It comes as part of the package of, of, it's an inherent part of being a human being. Right, just as breathing is an inherent part of of the human experience, we have an innate capacity to be aware, to be self-aware, to be aware of our environment. The question is, how do we do this and what is the interference? So that's the good news that we all have this as a built-in operating system. We don't have to go to the store. We don't have to order it on Amazon. This is part of the built-in package. That's number one. Number two, that when, when speaking of mindfulness and this, this leader in particular, I mean, I could just feel the anxiety in this person's body. And so the very foundation of mindfulness is as a leader, when we speak of excellence is to be aware that we have a body, this incredible high powered machine like this amazing Maserati. And so the, the second element here is how to be aware of our own bodies, right? And the fullness of what that means in the domain of being a human being. So the body, the mind, the spirit, the emotions are our, our identity, the core of our identity. And then uh, the third element for this, for this school leader and for us all is aware of the context of our environment, right? Are we sitting at a desk for it? eight, nine, 10, 12, 14 hours without moving. What is the impact of that? What is the impact of sitting at a screen uh, for extended period of time? We know a lot about what this does to the brain, what it does to uh, relationships. Um, and you know we could say a lot more. So, um, so three things, again, that mindfulness is inherent, second, that mindfulness is a, a deeper connection, an awareness of our own physical body and the domains of what it means to be human. Not to forget that we have emotions and spirit, and that is part of the human experience. Um, and then, third, that all of this is situated within a context, an environment. Yeah. Beautiful. Love the question.
2: <laughs> so I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I just want to add on that, um, Val, as you said so poignantly, to, to be, to sit with this leader yesterday was to feel, um, m- you know, my own heart cracking. difficulty of of the work right now. And something that mindfulness offers to us as supporters and um, surrounders and exemplars of leaders is compassion for ourselves in the difficulties that we are in. A a A capacity to be with and to see Yes, life is truly difficult now. And still to be able to calm ourselves, to be present, and um, to hold ourselves with tenderness and not too much judgment, just given, given what the world looks like right now. And so I think for Valerie and me, this is central to the work that we do in teaching about mindfulness, in being leadership coaches and consultants, and in our whole way of being is practicing this and carrying that work into the world with others.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's incredibly beautiful. Um, we often think of or false of false impression that mindfulness is about uh being more efficient um, and doing more. And that might happen if a person has greater capacity to focus, right? Because we all, in order to become educated people, we need to be able to focus. But that begins with self-awareness, capacity to to become aware of our own bodies um, and, and what is happening not only within us, but around us. Um, I mean, we talk to leaders all day long who are not aware that, that they're breathing, right? That the breath is frozen. Um, and what does that do for our capacity to focus, to concentrate? And to move toward excellence, we all want excellence. And that begins with becoming aware of these very simple, yet profound, and actually ubiquitous elements of what it means to be human, like the breath. You know, it's so ever-present, it's so ubiquitous, we don't even know that it's there. And yet, if we're not breathing, right, we're not going to get anywhere. And so this may sound like la, 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 like really simple stuff, um, but this really, it opens the door to, to greater awareness. And I know we're preaching to the converted here. Um, so we can see wanna, your
2: head shaking there.
3: <laughs> yes, yeah, so I just want to acknowledge you know, acknowledge your work and the work that you've been doing to bring this information out to the, to the public. So we wrote the Mindful School Leader this book um, because, you know, in in uh, in our work, we saw that teachers and principals and assistant principals and all of the leaders in school, they wanted mindfulness for their students. Oh yeah, you know, they wanted the, they wanted to check that box and you know bring in the programs to have mindfulness for the students. And for the teachers to be able to offer this to the students. But for the principals, the assistant principals, the superintendents, the leaders, the boards, it was non existent. And we said, wait a minute, time out. How is this possible? And that this is, you know, this, we need to have the whole school community, you know, invested in this. And so we wrote the book because we saw really what Parker Palmer describes in another context as a kind of tragic gap between this, what was happening for the students and the teachers and what was being offered for the leadership within the school.
0: Wonderfully said, and I think the, the, really the, portrait both of you paint regarding mindfulness is powerful. And I will say that I fully appreciate the fact that you paint it in such a way that you can still see the colors, that they're distinct. You see how you operate within um, each element of mindfulness. If we could, and I think our audience, and, and honestly, I know TJ and I are just simply intrigued by this, if we could, can we dive deeper, uh, Kirsten and Valerie, with this principle? And Kirsten, really just stay with this thread, because I think it'll resonate with everyone. What did you say to her? You know, where where does she begin? I, I, in true confession, I, I will say that I've always found mindfulness very much like Double Dutch, I'm horrible at it because I don't know when to enter. And so I always hit the jump rope. I've never been good at it. They're going in opposite directions, similar to life very often. And myself as a human being sometimes just struggles on where to enter it. So I think if we really stay with this principle and all of what you described is so real, I could share an email yesterday that almost brought me to my knees regarding a young lady. Um, the tragedy is everywhere, yes. but what should she do? What, how would she move forward if she's new to mindfulness? How, what's the inroad without getting more frustrated or feeling like it's work?
2: Or that she has another thing on her to-do list, which is already so overwhelming. that that in itself can cause you to feel a certain something. So so the place that um, Val and I, I think usually start um, is just um, as we've already talked about to slow down the pace a little bit and to begin by taking a breath and just communicating it's okay for us to relax here for a minute. It's okay for us not to have to do anything or hit any metrics in this next piece of the conversation. So that's important for me too, because I also have a very busy now back-to-back Zoom life and have to explicitly build pauses into it. So we began just by putting feet on the floor sitting straight in the chair, and I personally have gotten less and less formal about how I engage with these practices with leaders, because we gotta just try to be with this wherever we find it, and to take a breath together, and for her to feel what she was feeling, because most of her life is about not feeling what she's feeling. She's got to keep going, and keep producing, and keep moving. So sometimes we might just take two or three minutes together just to sit. And it can feel very funky not to be talking, (laughs) because our culture does not like that. But with a little bit of practice, it gets to be more and more comfortable so so just taking a breath giving yourself a pause and to notice what you're feeling right now whatever it is it might be that i feel like i'm about to cry it might be that i realize i have not eaten anything um except some, someone told me uh, yesterday some fun yums at like 6.30 in the morning. Um, that was literally all this person had eaten. And it was then about five o'clock in the afternoon. To notice that a conversation that they had with a struggling parent at 11.30 in the morning was still with them and still really tugging at their heart and just allow that to be present. And as Val said, you don't have to know how to do this. You already got it. You just need to take some time to be with it and notice what is it you are feeling right now. And to try to have as little story about that as possible. Oh, I shouldn't feel that way. I don't want to feel that way. I'm. I'm angry with myself that I feel that way. But just there it is. And just that practice alone a couple of times a day can begin to really shift things up. It's sort of like you come back to yourself and say, oh, there I am. There I am. And it gives us a kind of sense of pausing and gathering and a renewed capacity to move forward into the what is. And we all as educators got a lot of what is right now. We always did, now
3: more than ever.
2: Did that sound right to you, Val?
3: That's so beautiful. You know, I'm I'm really loving that and that the wisdom of that and the guidance of that Uh, and you know this this really kirsten should be be our next book um but you know uh, in addition so check check for everything that kirsten has shared so we want to make this effortless right right so that this is easy you don't have to go anywhere and do anything you don't have to get anything Right. And we are very much, um, I would say proponents, cheerleaders, whatever you want to call it. We're very much proponents for the Swiss cheese method. (laughs) The Swiss cheese method of mindfulness. So here you go. So the Swiss cheese method is you got a really busy day. It's on, you're almost on overwhelm. Right? Just what Kirsten described. There's a lot of stuff going on. But just like Swiss cheese has these holes, this is how we can penetrate the concentration of overwhelm and the, the frenetic pace that we are in. And and these the just as the holes in the swiss cheese they're holes in swiss cheese this is how we can approach our day a moment of mindfulness so i get up from my chair just stand up for a moment i feel my feet on the ground that's a swiss cheese method i get ready to touch the doorknob to open the door that's That's a moment to breathe in and breathe out. Oh, um, the phone rings. Um, I remember to breathe in and breathe out. So the trick is, you know, remembering. And so mindfulness is about returning to this remembering, kind of it's remembering, remembering and remembering to breathe, remembering to stand, remembering to drink water. And when we do this throughout the day, like these microburst, we're not talking about even, we're not talking five minutes. We're not talking anything like that. We're talking maybe five seconds, 10 seconds, 20 seconds we begin to punctuate the day with these, uh, with these bursts of, of calming, soothing the body, uh, regulating the, the, down-regulating the central nervous system, reducing the level of adrenaline and cortisol that's pumping through the body, because every email that comes in for the, for the brain is like, This is the saber-toothed tiger that's going to get me, right? And so when we take that breath, we're helping to regulate the the body, right? And the central nervous system. And actually not just for ourselves, but because these emotions are contagious and spread like crazy through the school building, we are also co-regulating the entire everybody we come in contact with, right? So you know what it's like to be in the presence of somebody who's super anxious. And you know what it's like to be in the presence of someone who has a non-anxious presence. So, said a lot, Kirsten, jump in.
2: I was just gonna say, you know, also in our business, we say cortisol kills. Um, You know, I think about that a lot um, in terms of microaggressions around racism. And, but it's true, it's generally true, cortisol kills. And cortisol also takes us out of, I think, what makes it possible for us to move into our greatness as a leader, which is this capacity to see widely, to be present to some of the alternative truths that may also be Um, in the situation um, to get out of our own triggered reaction. So I have come to feel as Val described these little micro bursts of mindfulness are at the center of a trajectory towards leadership development and growth. That they absolutely must be at at the core of it and from those little bursts, then you begin building possibly into some kind of maybe you sit um, for a couple of minutes during lunch. One of the practices that I recommend very often to my most busy leaders is to step outside of wherever they are, the building, their house once a day and look up at the sky. Absolutely. Because our work is, pulls us in so much and truncates our peripheral vision that we need to actually shift our vision and be able to look up and look out. That too is a mindfulness practice. I think that being able to see broadly is a critical piece of leadership work every day. And we need to physically engage with that. So that's a somatic practice that leads to this broadening of leadership capacities. So eventually these things become kind of instantiated in how you do business through the day, how, you know, you've got to regulate and, um, I think there's a call for these practices more than there has ever been in our current circumstances. Is more is being asked of us. We have less space to experience non-onlineness. And this opportunity to return to some kind of stillness is something we got to be really pretty fierce about. Mm -hmm. Because it's it it will not happen without intentionality.
1: So let's use that as a, as a place to, to diagnose the problem a little bit more because I think you've given us the entry point that Joe was asking for in terms of, I love the, the trick is remembering. I really like that point. Um, and you talked about our culture and to have as little of a story to go with this As possible. And really, I love the concept of micro bursts, seeing broadly, and making it effortless. And we interviewed um, Larry Rosen a while back about the distracted mind. And so you're bringing that science back in terms of like, why we don't do this. But for the leaders listening today, I think it would be nice to to diagnose a little bit about why folks aren't doing this. I mean, I need to stand up from my desk right now and feel my feet on the ground. It's probably not what I'm going to do next um, unless I remember, right, to the point that you're making. So why don't we remember? What is it about our culture? What can we do to kind of show folks like here's like not only the entry point, but here's why this is a problem and, and how, you know, you might fix it once you figure out, you know, you have the space to do it, but we're not doing it. So what's the problem that we have in our culture?
3: Mm. Uh, yeah, TJ, that's a really powerful question, and so I just want to acknowledge what you already know, you know, and so m- much of kind of learning is, is this uh, remembering, right, remembering what we already know. Um, so what you already know is that we're in a global pandemic, <laughs> and so all bets are off. Um, that contributes. We have been in a state of hypervigilance. And so by the, the 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 context within which we are breathing and living is one in which we are all in hypervigilance, which means the body is set on high alert. And so um, you know, this whole evolutionary and adaptive process, we don't need to be chased down by the saber toothed tiger. It is the errant email, the um the criticism we know that criticism or critical feedback um, is for a uh, for a human being lights up the parts of the brain associated with physical pain right and so um so getting critical feedback being in this hypervigilant state this is the foundation of the house on which we we're, we're, we're building um and so i think it's important there's something powerful to me in acknowledging this is the reality, right? That's an act of mindfulness to not say something's black when it's white, to recognize that we are in a challenging environment, a domain that is challenging, right? That is a place of wisdom. We lift off from there Um, and the lifting of Um, is a really critical thing because we know uh, there's uh, lots of statistics, we cite that in the book, about attention deficit that we're all in. We're in an attention economy, and our attention is fractured, right? This contributes to the forgetfulness, and so you know, there's just so much and Kirsten, please jump in. But all of this is what contributes to why this has become so challenging. So the first thing to do is recognize that we're in a challenging environment. And when we're in a challenging environment, doing the same old same old is not gonna cut it. (laughs) And so we're going to need to develop these habits these practices that then as kirsten has said become instantiated in our body on a cellular level so we don't wake up in the morning saying well i wonder if i should brush my teeth or not it's the, it's automatic there's a kind of automaticity that happens because we've done this over and over again right and so as we begin to build these tiny moments they these practices become habits that then support us in this very challenging environment in which there is just too much too fast too soon that's happening
2: so i want to just add to that and say that i think also that we have been in a 30 or 35 year shift in the education sector in terms of what our definitions of powerful leadership are. Um, So that some of the emphasis on accountability, efficiency, um, um, metric-based accountabilities and assessments have added Enormous pressure to the educational leader um, in terms of packing the day to the absolute maximum with data meetings, with check-ins with every um, every member of your um, of your climate team, um, with attending every. Um, meeting of the entire district. We simply have taken nothing out of the leader's portfolio. And I think that it, it requires an almost countercultural kind of visioning to begin to attend to and shape what is meaningful to me as a leader. What are the two or three most critical values on which I stand and I form the culture around me? And those require attention to self that mindfulness can support. But really to stand in face of the tsunami of daily demands that is most educational leaders' lives requires a kind of fierce sense of standing in yourself, because it is not easy to do. Mm -hmm. And I I really do believe this is part of the sectoral shift that we are going to have to make. And possibly, um, post-COVID, these paradigms will begin to be examined in new ways. I mean, I'm trying to see. What is positive and what have we learned about this pandemic period? About the kind of sectoral shifts that we must make because what we are demanding of leaders is unsustainable and does not serve the individuals, the students around whom this system was designed. And it certainly does not serve the adults.
3: I love that Kirsten and I want to add again, the obvious here, that may not be so obvious. We've talked about some of the external roadblocks, the systems and structures that are in place in the educational institutions that really make this way of being in the world and doing actually impossible. There are two other things. And this has to do with the, with the internal part of, of, of the human being, right? I spoke initially about the humanness of this, right? The body centered. What I hear virtually every single day from school leaders, to pause, to stop, to breathe, that's selfish. That is selfish. To take care of myself, to drink water, to have a decent lunch—that is selfish.
2: Um, and and I think in many of the in the educational environments where I work, the thing, say in a professional yearly professional development calendar, the things that folks are most interested in opting into are offerings on self-care.
3: Mm-hmm. We have offered. Yeah, yeah, we've offered
2: that. I mean, I do think that that we're we are in a shift now mm -hmm. to understanding that we must care for ourselves and make that a part of how we conceive of being a powerful professional, because it is at the center of the work that we do. And our capacity to be able to serve the students and families to whom we have committed is unless we are taking better care of ourselves.
3: Excellence in education begins with self-care. This is not selfish, it's stewardship. It's stewardship of our most important resource, our body, our mind, our spirit. The second thing that is so damaging that i hear and that happens to all of us this comes from the neuroscience rick hansen shout out to dr rick hansen is that we come built with a negativity bias right so we our brain is like is like velcro for the negative and teflon for the positive You get 10 wonderful compliments in the course of the day. You get one biting, stinging, negative comment in the course of the day. What do you remember? The 10 great compliments or the one negative comment? There you go. This is real. It affects our esteem, -esteem, self-esteem, self-worth and how we show up. You wanna be excellent? We need to pay attention to this built-in. It's actually the default mode of self-referential thinking. This is how the neuroscience described this. So the self-referential default mode of the brain is tends to be this way. And so, how do we counter that? It's becoming aware. Oh, okay, where did that come from? You know, and so little by little with this Swiss cheese method, we can begin to balance, regain a sense of balance. So again, this is stewardship. This is not selfishness. It's incredibly
0: rich and powerful. I'm sorry, Kirsten, would you like to add?
2: No, I guess I was just ultimately going to say, I think to do the work of the, the compassionate revolution Um, that is going to be required um, to reform our sense of what educational leadership should be so that it can better serve the students and communities that so desperately need us. At the the center of this is a kind of self-compassion and a care for ourselves. Which we have just tremendously undervalued. Mm-hmm. And so, again, you know, just to return to this very basic piece, which is um, this daily coming back to ourselves, it's not very dramatic. <laughs> it doesn't have a lot of metrics associated with it. Um, increasingly, there are all kinds of supports there are apps, there are programs, there are groups that we can join online. But it's really just very small daily practices that accumulate over time and begin to make an enormous difference in how we show up in the world as leaders, how we show up to ourselves and how we show up to virtually everyone else. And it is, it's is—it's just this kind of heartfulness, mm-hmm. compassion for our own human mess ups, which happen literally every minute, and compassion for other people. It gives us this just this sense of this too, and now let's get on with the work of leadership.
0: Thank you both. Very rich, powerful, and I would say also things that we can do. I mean, that's what we're looking for is practicality. Um, you had mentioned um, Rick Hansen, and it's a perfect shift into our our one thing series segment um, on what we could do. Is there someone else, another person or group? And I do love, I, I want to say that it's it's not lost. I do love the fact that very early on it was established that this is within us now. This isn't, right. know something we have to buy it's not something we have to get yes there's apps i probably could rattle off a few that would help um so granted um in that world though in that context and understanding this more to, to grow as a leader um you mentioned rick hansen is there a person or a group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration
3: yeah beautiful question um so you know, there's a lot of research, uh, Harvard Business Review, many people have interviewed folks, and they ask a really cool question. What makes an excellent leader? Right. And what makes an excellent, outstanding leader are all the things that Kirsten just rattled off. Authenticity, compassion, caring, understanding. They don't, they don't rattle off They're looking at the humanness of, of what makes a leader, how the person listens and shows up. So when I think of my one thing, I go to that list. And the person or group community is the Plum Village community, founded by Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh, who's written more than 100 books. On mindfulness. So, when I want to understand myself more, and when I want to remember what it means to be an excellent and outstanding leader, I go to those qualities of leadership. How do I listen? How do I show up in my body? How do I speak with care and compassion yet directly? And I learned that through this beautiful community, the Plum Village. And they've got apps and podcasts and all kinds of stuff.
2: Yeah. Um, I think that just to add to that, that there are so now, we live in a very rich world, many, many mindfulness teachers and online sanghas. And ways to join with others around mindfulness. Many, many of the folks I work with do find the Calm app, the MindSpace app, very useful in supporting practice. Hey, I'm kind of jangled and I could um, use a little getting back to me. I've got a three-minute um, meditation right here on my phone. So, you know, a um, hundred years ago, this was not so available. So, yay, that that, those things are. And I think just to encourage people to find what works for them, to find what works for you. There should be pleasure associated with this. This should not feel like something, I was about to swear, (laughs) darn it, that you have to do, Um, but really that this is a set of pleasurable moments of you returning to you. Um, The person that I am loving right now is Sonia Renee Taylor, who is a poet and an activist who is on Instagram very often. She lies in her bed and um, just records some things that she is thinking about in very real and truthful ways about the state of the world, about being a black woman in, a, in um, our white supremacist world about being an activist and trying to, to remember herself and seven generations forward. So I love her, and, but find what speaks to your heart and is, doesn't feel like another thing on your to-do list and go be in that with a sense of discovery and even possibly joy.
1: Thank you for that. We'll definitely link to those folks in the show notes um, so people can find those apps and connect with um, where your your uh, knowledge and inspiration comes from. Aside from mindfulness and, and or connected to mindfulness, is there one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that can make a difference in their day or life?
2: Okay. All right, I'm going to jump in here. <laughs> um, I would say that uh, the greatest gift, we're coming up on a time when many of us, we hope have a little bit of time off, is to make a daily practice of taking at least one thing out of your day of doing less, of giving yourself the gift, even if it is just a few moments, of empty time, of bare time, where there is nothing that has claimed this time. There's nothing that has to be done. And that that just that is an experience of mindfulness and a commitment to returning to something that is fundamental to you. A coming home every day with less. Um, I love this quote, contentment is knowledge of enough. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's very difficult for us in our culture, We we are constantly in the face of too much and overabundance in literally every way. And it has become habitual for us to do too much, to have too much, to try to um, achieve too much. Again, it's countercultural and potentially pleasurable and even joyful.
3: (laughs) I love that. I, I so love that. And I'm going to, I'm going to riff off that Kirsten (laughs) Um, and I would say one thing to do, one thing not to do. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The thing to do is I ask myself this question, like all day long, like what brings you joy? What brings you joy? and what i did is like i went out and well some group a group that i was facilitating they gave me an amazon gift card i don't know if this program is sponsored by amazon because i don't shop at a 1.7 trillion dollar company but they gave me the gift card so i used it and i bought a gigantic round yellow rug that I'm standing on right now. And I look at this gigantic round yellow rug every single day. That brings me joy, right? And I've taken to having like these tiny little one minute Aretha Franklin dance party on my my little rug, my rug here. Um, Joy. Joy in the, and joy feels like uh, a tall order. Joy feels radical when you're in the face of systemic oppression, racism, climate crisis. To cultivate joy is to say yes to life. So however you do it to cultivate joy, one moment of joy. And the rug and the dance party there's by a, myself is joy.
2: There's a beautiful book
3: um, on ple- the pleasure activism. Right, Adrian Marie Brown. Right. So shout out for She's It's Adrienne. a
2: beautiful, beautiful book that to experience pleasure is in itself a radical act, especially it, for folks of color and that the to step into joy is an affirmative, social justice act
3: it's an antidote actually it's an antidote to oppression to systemic oppression racism and all the isms but that was one i said there was two the other thing not to do please people i know this is hard (laughs) do not go to the phone the moment your eyes open in the morning That's a downhill. I mean that that's a killer, and I know that that's hard. We've conditioned ourselves. The moment we the moment we haven't even put our feet on the floor, we turn over and grab the phone. Mm. That's a killer. So
2: um, uh, I know we've probably got a timepiece here, but I (laughs) think that instead of looking at the phone to look up, most educators and folks who work in the sector get up very early, we, we need to, is to look at the sun as it is dawning and simply to notice how the sky is changing, an act of mindfulness and life affirmation that can carry us through the whole day Sometimes I can feel that that morning light and that morning vision is still in me at four o'clock in the afternoon, where it now gets dark here in Boston. Four o'clock in the afternoon, that is, that is long past, but it's still living in me.
0: Very powerful. Uh, we will definitely reference um, those that you mentioned in the show notes. I know I'm really looking forward to even digging into some of this work myself, since you've mentioned a few people that I, I've not heard of. So I think that's fantastic as well. Um, I want to ask you, and I'm really intrigued about what your answer will be, because I do not think it'll be a thing or an accomplishment, or you know, I, I'm. It's it's impressive. <laughs> You know, when we look at your bios, when we look at your resumes, but I feel such a sense that, you know, those are things earned, but life is obviously far deeper and more meaningful than that. And the joy that you mentioned certainly is not brought about by a purchase or an achievement if we're not, you know, mindful in our own selves and, and into that joy as you describe it. What's one thing that you want to know or be able to do that you haven't already?
3: Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> that's, that's a, a powerful question. I would say there's loads of things, um, but to, to name just two, um, one is to become better at Spanish. Um, I'm of Afro-Cuban descent, and so, and I travel to Spain every year to lead a transformational pilgrimage. And so, when I'm in Spain, my Spanish is better. When I come back to the United States, it tank, you know, tanks. And so, part of it is, is connecting with my own culture, cultural roots, and honoring the, the Spanish people to be able to speak in their language. Um, And so speaking Spanish, you know, um, being better at that. And then one is just kind of a fun thing. You know, I grew up in the People's Republic of Brooklyn. Like there was no swimming pool nearby. There was was no like ocean and stuff. Um, So I never learned how to swim. And I I would love to be able to do that. Yeah.
2: Oh, wow, that's so lovely. <laughs> Let's do that together, honey. That's beautiful.
0: Yeah. So. Val, we're gonna hold you to that. I, I
2: see you. I I, 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 I
0: I think we hold you to that. We'll connect <laughs> in in several months from now and see if women yeah, we'll and. It.
2: We'll do
0: it. I would love to take you up on a challenge, uh, <laughs> TJ. Um, knows Spanish, and he he can describe uh, his background with that. Um, but myself. I feel that powerfully because of our school community. I feel I really like what you said about honoring people because that's how I see it. I'm not just learning a language to speak Spanish. I'm learning a language to connect
3: Mm
0: -hmm. our community community that right now I'm not connecting with as much. So I I just wanted to jump in because both resonate deeply.
1: Yeah. Val, I, I would also say too, that, uh, I speak some Spanish because my wife is from Venezuela and we have um, my mother-in-law living with us in the house. And so my kids, you know, they go back and forth between the two languages. But I also taught swimming lessons for quite some time when I was younger. So you
3: have a source when you're ready. I I knew I came to the right place. (laughs) (laughs) Fabulous. All right. I may be on your doorstep.
2: Um, Okay, something that I would like to learn how to do is, and this is a metaphor, is I would like to learn how to pack light. (laughs) And I mean that quite literally. Um, uh, I am the mother of four children and I seem unable to leave a house without you know, several hundred tons of things that might be required. But I really mean that as a metaphor, and it's connected to the conversation that we've just had, that I'd like to be able to understand and trust that I can go out to the world knowing that I already have everything I need. And also that what I need will come to me if I don't have and that we don't need to carry so much with us. And there are things that we can put down. Yeah. And that is a lifetime of work. Mm-hmm. Learning to pack light. Since we go off in the end, very, very light. Taking nothing at all.
1: Yeah, Kirsten, that's, a, that's an awesome goal. I think for all of us, you know, the saying goes, you can't take it with you. Yeah. Um, maybe we need to think about that every day before we leave the house. Well, what do we need uh, versus what do we want? And. Um,
2: and what is habit telling me that I think I need that I don't actually need? That to me is also a piece of my mindfulness practice is how can I notice that I didn't actually need that in the first place? And I was just burdening myself by carrying it.
1: I think there's some noticing there too. I like that you use that word because it's um, maybe the habit is to notice what you took uh, when you return that you didn't use on the journey. And so I wonder if that's the habit.
2: That's beautiful.
1: So as leaders, I mean, you're you're continuing to grow, you're learning every day, you're practicing mindfulness. Our next question question is, is there one thing that you can look to that has led to or continues to support your growth as a leader that others might be able to replicate?
2: Mm. Um... So the gift of, one of the gifts of my life is that I talk to leaders every day about their leadership practice. And so I am always learning as a leader. And my recommendation is to be in conversation with other leaders, really all the time as much as possible. How did you make that decision? How do you feel about it? What are you learning about yourself in this new role? What have been some of the unexpected pieces that came to you from doing this thing or making this decision? These are all the kinds of questions that I feel deeply blessed to be in because of my work every day, but really they're conversations available to every leader. And we are all so hungry to reflect with each other about our lives as leaders, and we don't get enough space to do it. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that I recommend, especially to newer leaders, is to get into a group with other leaders who are in a non-evaluative supervisory role with you, and to talk about what you are noticing about yourselves as leaders. Because being a leader is an x-ray of self. You find out about yourself through leading. And it's a tremendously powerful learning lab. And people are so willing and wanting to talk about what they are reflecting on and noticing.
3: Yeah, I'll rip off of that. Um, You know, we, we, people don't follow a perfect, perfect people. Right, people follow people who are vulnerable, bumbly a little bit, um, talk straight, you know, who embody all of these qualities. We also know that that leaders have virtually no time for self-reflection. And in order to do what we've been talking about, we need some space of self-reflection so I would agree 1,000% that creating these the space to have self-reflection, which you cannot do in a vacuum. We need other people to mirror back to help us see what we cannot, is really critical. And whether that is a mentor, whether that is a small group, there is a really wonderful organization called the Millennium Forum um, that has small circles small groups the center for courage and renewal uh, fosters uh, small groups um, and particularly for educators the organization transformational educational leadership uh, fosters small groups it's all based on uh, support and reflection and again this is you know the the idea of the lone wolf you know the rugged individual this is part of the American psyche. But that doesn't work, people. <laughs> it doesn't work. We need each other. And so, if I could leave folks with, you know, to do homework, find folks yeah. with whom you can connect and engage in the self reflection.
2: We have constituted leadership. Um as being a really solo act in our culture, and it is not, and we cannot be wise leaders um, on our own. And there's a kind of loneliness, also for many people who were formerly teachers, who move through the ranks in our sector, there's a kind of increasing loneliness to leadership ascent that I think actually is quite counterproductive to becoming the leader whom we wanna be. Um, the way we learn is to talk over all the crazy stuff that we did and wish we hadn't done (laughs) so that we can um hear ourselves next time walking into the very same set of things and so how do we learn we reflect we need lots of time to do that
3: yeah so that always brings to mind that lovely quote by john dewey that you know we do not We do not learn from our experience. We learn by reflecting on our experience. And we cannot only do it alone. Yes, self-reflection is important. We also need each other.
0: Very powerful. And to continue with this thread, our final question is actually completely about self-reflection. Um, and really uncovering new ideas, thoughts, what's one thing that you used to think that you don't think anymore?
3: Uh, For me, (laughs) and Kirsten knows this really really well. So um, I have had for a long time, maybe decades, the practice of how to be vulnerable. I used to think as the high-powered type A, <laughs> you know, I was going to curse. <laughs> um, Go for it, girl. <laughs> yeah, lawyer, <laughs> lobbyists, you know, that um, vulnerability was for wimps. I don't believe that anymore. And there's lots of research, yay to Brene Brown and all the vulnerability researchers out there. We know that contrary to popular misconception to be vulnerable is really to be so present, to be so open, that takes courage. That's an act of excellence. So I am learning how to be vulnerable. And it's small things, it's like asking people because I'm not a person that asks people to do stuff for me. So asking a person, hey, you do this thing, um, and sitting with all the emotions that rise up <laughs> when that happens for me, and trusting, which is the core of what uh, what we wrote in the book and what Kirsten is speaking about, to create a, a whole school community in which there is trust, um, where there is that the trust that then permeates through the entire school, yeah.
2: Yeah, and that comes so much from, I mean, we've all experienced that, a leader who is really um, able to own their own mistakes, be whom they are, it's it's invitational to everyone else. So um, mine mine is, as I've already said, I grew up with a very tough uh, chemical engineering father and am a recovering academic um, from an <laughs> R one university. Is I think I used to I used to think that I had to cover up um, a deep seated sense of love and kindness and compassion. I thought that it would um, would. Make people see me as you know n- not not uh, not tough enough, and I don't anymore. I'm just going with it. Is that um, when I'm within appropriate boundaries? When I'm with somebody and I'm feeling the love, man, I'm just feeling it. I'm just so out there with it, and um, I am. We are. I hope in a turning of our world when we can all be more compassionate towards each other.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, I think we have been through a period where on a national stage, we have kindness and compassion have been tremendously devalued. And I would like to be able to step unapologetically into kindness, care, a sense of community connection that leads the way for me and to be unapologetic about it.
1: Wow. Unapologetically compassionate. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and really connected to the vulnerability piece because, you know, leaders think that they, they need to be uh, and do it all. And that's not true. We have to ask for help. Um, and I, I really think a theme here is this, this idea that leadership is a team sport yeah. um, and it's not something that you can do alone. And so this has really been fantastic. We we can't say enough about your generosity with your time. The simplicity here um, has also been key. Uh, Joe and I always say that leadership might be complex, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, and so you've really unpacked a lot for us, Um, and so Valerie and Kirsten, is there anything else as we finish off here that you would like to add for today's listeners?
2: I just want to say thank you to the two of you for the work that you are doing in the world, and also I think this started off with a desire to serve, that you two come to this with a desire to serve. I'm sure this isn't easy to fit into your life either, and That is powerful to me and an example in our work of sort of what what folks can do when they get together, do something that really means something to them.
1: Thank you for that. Kirsten, if
0: I may, um, you had mentioned earlier about the blessings in your life regarding being around leaders. I think TJ would agree that these podcasts have really morphed into something that I used to prepare for and study and work and think about questioning and get to know the the person we're going to interview. And they have evolved into that research being a journey leading us to this moment that allows me then to sit back and not only get to connect wonderfully with people um, and then share that experience with others, which is our intent, but also learn and enjoy. And so it it has really morphed to something that originally I was stressed about and wasn't very comfortable with into really a learning joyful process um, because of the connectivity. So I appreciate that as well.
2: Thanks. You're riding the wave of joy, man. There you go. (laughs) (laughs)
3: yeah just so much gratitude and to keep doing what you're doing I know it's helping many many people Um, so yeah just immense gratitude immense gratitude for those people who have uh, who read the mindful school leader who are working with it and we're, we're we're here for you so, yeah. please call on us. We'd yeah. be delighted to support your organization, your school.
2: That's right. When we're not outside looking at the sky, right, Val?
3: Or walking, yeah. <laughs> or, or,
2: or in the swimming pool in Val's
3: place. <laughs> I aspire. <laughs>
1: Well, thank you. There you have it, everybody. Another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog, the schoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs, always on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed this one thing series on the power of excellence and mindfulness and practices that we can fit into our everyday life and so much more. Thank you, Valerie and Kirsten. We really
2: appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much.